Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 39. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. Seated in the guide shack with my good friends, Ed, a.k.a. Working Class Woodsman, uh, Christopher Russell, and Tom, who is a student on the current Wilderness Bushcraft semester. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Doing I'm well. doing doing good. Yeah. Yep, no complaints. No complaints at all. I have lots of complaints, and I've alphabetized them. Um, but uh, the list is too long, and I'll read them after we're done. That's episode 40. And it's only a 30-minute <laughs> podcast. <Yeah. laughs> There's not enough. We don't have the bandwidth. No. It's the bandwidth. So today we want to talk about uh, some current events, talk about a little bit about gear. Um, we're going to delve into minimum impact camping and just interaction with the land. And lastly, get all philosophical and talk about different ways of seeing the, the landscape and different, different knowledge systems, I guess, if you will. But to start with, Ed, you, uh, was it last weekend? Uh, two, two, two weekends two ago. Two weekends ago, yep. you went to the New England Bushcraft Show down in Massachusetts, right? Yep. Down in Carlton, Mass. And how was that? Uh, it was uh, a really good time. Um, I had a, had, a, had a great time, actually. I met some really good people, um, made some good contacts, and uh, looking forward to going again next year, actually. And it's going to be bigger, and they're going to have more vendors and more... Uh, um, more options for uh, the, the the people that come and spend the day, and it was it was a really good turnout. Um, they had a the parking lot was packed, and everyone seemed to be in pretty good spirits. The weather was perfect. Nice, yeah. yeah. I uh, we couldn't make it because we were busy up here running the semester, but um, I spoke to to Marcus, the organizer, the the head guy at New England Bushcraft, right after the show, and we're hoping we can make it. Uh, Next year, he seems like a great guy, and you said he ran a class A, class A show oh. and a really good operation. Oh yeah, no, everything was, uh, and it was as far to to the to my understanding, as far as I know, it was the first show, the first the first event, right? That yeah, done, and I thought it went off really well. Um, it it seemed to be uh, no, the, everything was done professionally, and uh, the, you know everyone just there was a good flow throughout the whole day. You know there wasn't any like. It was it was super cool in the morning, and everybody kind of just got bored in the afternoon. There were all kinds of things going on all day, different events, uh, primitive skills being demonstrated, <laughs> wilderness walks, um, stuff like that. It was it was a great time. I, I enjoyed it. 
So pretty neat in the era, uh, especially in the era of social media. We were talking yeah. yesterday in the canoes. It's neat because, like, you know, you know all these people, but you never met them in person, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's neat to like it, it, put a face to the yeah. to the screen name. Yeah, I mean, like I uh, like um, I hate to start dropping names because I'm I'm gonna forget a lot of people, but like uh, the Hidden Woodsman, um, uh, Any Wilderness, Micah George, uh, Jeff Hatch. Um, Badger Claw Leather, all those guys. I mean, I've had like, I hate to say internet relationships, but you know, we've had. <laughs> I'm glad you added the ships. <laughs> yeah. Internet friendships, <laughs> friendships, no relationships yet. But anyway. Please don't edit that out, Tim. Um, <laughs> I don't even but, know how. <laughs> when you meet, you know, when you have a, an online friendship or uh, uh, with someone and you meet them and they actually turn out to be pretty cool people, it's, it's cool. You know, because yeah. a lot of times it doesn't work that way. It's, it's never worked that way for me. It, and often it doesn't. People yeah. meet me and they're like, uh-uh, uh, I'm out of here. I'm just glad I didn't meet you on the internet. <laughs> but anyway, so no, it was, uh, yeah, but you finally get to, uh, you put a name and a face to that personality. And um, uh, like, do you see how these folks are just, they genuinely just want to uh, live, uh, experience the natural world and live with the, you know, with the uh, wilderness. That's great. It's awesome. And like we talked about yesterday, uh, we here are huge fans of of events like this, specifically this event, because, you know, it really draws attention to a lot of the smaller businesses. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. all heard of like the big national companies and stuff, but it's a great leg up for, you know, for the small kind of mom and pop or, or single operator business. And, yeah. and that's, yeah. it's great. You know, it's great for them to get cool. that exposure and it's great. You know, I think... Um, it's a rapidly growing industry, right? But there's definitely room for, for I think there's room for everybody because no two people are trying to do the exact same thing. So like we super support like the, the small time gear manufacturers. Yep. We love supporting other schools and stuff um, just because the, you know, the, the, maybe the villain, that's a bad word. Yep. The, <laughs> the, the problem in 2018 is just people don't know about what's going on and what you're doing. So the more events like that, the more people network and talk, the more people learn about what we do, the more people learn about what we do, the more they learn about events like this. So it's all reciprocal. So the better success that we get here, the more success hopefully some of the other small businesses around the region will get and vice versa. Yeah, and that's something that Chris and I talk about all the time, whereas everyone in this, and I, I don't even want to call it an industry, but let's just say a organization. A community. I a think community. it's a community. That's a better it, word. Thank yeah. You. Um, the, when everyone gets along, it's better for everyone in the community. And yeah. I say get along, I mean, you know, we're all, we're all, we all have the same interests and the same goals, and it, it just works for everyone when everyone gets along and networks. I, to some extent, but I think everybody loves a good old-fashioned Twitter feud. Like, even if we manufactured it, like this you is, and I should get on like an argument on Instagram because it draws a lot of, it's like a car accident. People have to watch, you know, they want to see that. Yep. And we've done that. The conflict. <laughs> I think you guys are about to start one right now during this podcast. We're going to argue over who owns certain hashtags. Yeah. Well, that's, an, yeah, let's talk about that. But anyway, uh, so, uh, okay. So, and something that you brought away from the from the show was you ended up with oh. a new piece of gear that you brought up here. Oh yeah. The, 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 uh, turning point for me, I guess is, uh, uh, after meeting Micah George from, uh, any wilderness, uh, he, he uses the war bonnet, uh, blackbird hammock. And, uh, 
you know, camping. Uh, uh, I had an I had a few bad experiences with hammocks when I first when I was younger and had a I just couldn't sleep in a hammock. And Chris, we've talked about this. You have an issue with hammocks too. I hate them. Well. You haven't tried the Warbone at Blacksburg XLC. Uh, because I'll tell you what, it is a few things about it. And after seeing Micah's set up and checking out his uh, uh, setup, it's like, you know, it's like I could give this another try. And uh, I get a hold of the folks at Warbonnet. They hook me up, and I'm, th I'm absolutely thrilled with it in the respect that there's a lot of, you know, it, it, you're not sleeping in the, you know, the banana-shaped hammock. You're, it's designed so you actually sleep level, and it's just a whole different system. I'm in the market for a hammock that actually looks like a giant banana that I can hang between two trees. Well, they make that. Isn't that Ben's hammock? Yeah, yeah, you can use Ben's. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ben's hammock. And while we're at it, I want a bathtub shaped like a giant clam. And that's all you need? That, those two things. And your lamp. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, not to get off on too much of a tangent, as we do so often. Yeah. But yeah, so... Uh, so in other words, what I what I what I took from it was the one thing I really took from it was uh, that there's more than one way to I guess skin a cat. I guess as far as like if you're going to spend time in the wilderness, you know you can do that. Uh, you can you can like the other night when we we were out on the canoe trip. Chris slept under a canoe. Yep. Uh, Tom slept in a tent. I slept in a hammock. And you went to the... Well, I set up a tent, uh, but um, yeah, I, I hiked out to a bed and breakfast. Okay. I don't know if you guys knew this, but season one of Bear Grylls, Man vs. Wild, I served as the consultant on the Alaska Mountain Range episode, and I learned a few good things there, and one of which was to uh, definitely sneak out and go back to a hotel. Yeah. But there were a lot of rumors flying around about that, <laughs> um, you know, bear leaves and goes back and sleeps in a five-star hotel like i remember hearing all the rumors and i was actually contacted by a member of the press from one of the big magazines who were trying to do like an expose and they're like you know trying to get me to admit like does you know just admit that he goes back and sleeps at a five-star five -star hotel and i'm like listen buddy first of all there is no way that hotel was five stars <laughs> 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 because you remember, you, you remember the uh, I, I don't know if it was Tom. Someone said they thought they heard a bear, and it, it was actually Tim trying to get back that's to his right. tent. Oh, that's right. Well, before the, we woke before up, we woke he had up. to get back yeah. to, to maintain. And I, it was the guy the with facade. the. I was. It was the yeah. guy dropping me off off the four wheeler. Yeah, because like, like bears don't wear headlamps. That's right. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Like it was a cleverly constructed wall of brush right behind it, which is yeah. a major, major road through the North Main Woods. So, how was your experience, Chris? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like sleeping under canoe. Um, I, it's comfortable, but it's not super comfortable. But I like it. But I, also, I think most of it is just a romance thing for me. I like the idea of the old voyagers just rolling their canoes oh, on the side of the. It's classic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's also right now is very seasonally yeah. appropriate, right? Like we had a cold night. It was in the twenties, mm -hmm. and cold nights mean no bugs. And yep. sleeping under the canoe without a bug net in like. I don't no, know, around mid-June, no way, no how. So I'm, no I'm getting my fix, if you will, before they come out. Good idea. Just enjoying it while I can. This is sort of the Goldilocks yeah. period of time here, before, after the snow, before the bugs. It's, it's also partly that I'm just kind of lazy, and it's a lot easier to just roll my canoe over than to like bring along a tent and set it up, so I just do that. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a classic, <laughs> but it's a classic scene in so many paintings, guys sleeping under canoes with yeah. their Hudson Bay blankets. Right. So how did you fare? Tom. I did well. I have a, a little bivy-like tent. It's more like a bivy sack with some 
uh, shoulder and head space for him. It comes down, it comes down real easy. It goes up real easy, and um, yeah, it's perfect for a canoe. Quick and light, yeah. yes, sir. Or how, a backpack. Or how did you? Uh, how was your first night in the hammock? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> like everything, uh, it's it's always a learning experience because you know Chris and I literally opened the box that day. You know, I I literally had the uh, two day priority shipping box. On site. So, unboxing video coming tomorrow. Well, no, we're going to spend No, I actually, I got a one-on-one -on -one unboxing experience with the working class woodsman. It was pretty magical, but we won't talk about that right yeah, now. Yeah, and that's something that, yeah, we're going to keep that to ourselves. <laughs> keep for, for the sake. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was great. Uh, like, But like everything, it's a learning curve. And yeah. what I learned was that um, I was told... Uh, when I talk to the folks at Warbon, it's like we do make a quilt option that goes underneath to keep the, your back insulated, or you can put in a sleeping pad. So I'm like, well, you know, it's it's going to be maybe 40 degrees. I've got a 15 degree bag. I'll be fine. And at 1:30 in the morning, Chris thought the forest was on fire <laughs> because I was up. I had to get the fire going because I was I was cold. So I get up and light the fire, and Chris coming over to make sure someone hadn't, you know, started another. I thought fire. we had burned down the North Man Woods. I genuinely <laughs> did for a moment. So, so what? We came to the conclusion that uh, no, Ed, you you need, you need a sleeping you, pad. You need a sleeping pad in that hammock, you idiot. You know. So <laughs> this is what he said, actually. So Verbatim. He, so Chris had an extra sleeping pad. I put in the sleeping pad in the hammock because it's a double layer bottom, and you slide the pad right in, and I was fine. So. Um, Anyway, my next, I uh, guess what I'm getting to is the next purchase is I'm getting the quilt that goes underneath the hammock and I'll be, I'll be one happy camper. So I guess bigger picture, right? Is there are a variety of shelters, shelters, sleeping shelters available on the market. Yep. And, you know, there are uh, a variety of ones that are appropriate for a given Situation, for example, if we were out winter camping and it was 30 below and you were in your hammock with no pad, you'd be dead. It's not an appropriate shelter there. Agreed? That is 100% agreed. 100% agreed. Yep. Uh, similarly, like a tiny backpacking tent, um, you know, if you're camped out for any length of time, anything more than, say, three days, probably not appropriate for, for really cold weather. But mm -hmm. And nope. similarly, like how you were sleeping, appropriate right now, not yeah. appropriate in the winter, wouldn't be appropriate in the summer with lots of bugs, right? So Absolutely. The, the point is that, you know, there's lots of different appropriate options and a lot of it just comes down to personal choice. Another thing that we talked about on the trip is people are cooking and processing water for themselves on the trip and different people have different cook pots, different options. You know, and on the one end, you know, I've met people who want to do everything with like a 16 ounce titanium mug from, from purify their, or sanitize their water. And there's a difference between sanitize and purify to cook their food and whatever. And, you know, that works great um, if you're not trying to take care of other people, if you're not trying to take care of a group, if you're not against stopping and sanitizing more water. But I made the point on the trip that I always bring a big, a big milk pail so that I could sanitize all the water that I would need in one boil, you know, for a 24 or 48 hour period. So again, like certain things are appropriate in one place and maybe not as appropriate in, in other situations so that leads us to like d another different type of shelter like the one that you were living in here at the field school um, full-time your house if you will yeah i'm up here until essentially until the end of our fall semester in october 
Um, so I built uh, an upscaled version of a, a hoop house or dome shelter that we build up here anyway. Um, and I, yeah, I can only do that because I'm here permanently. It wouldn't make sense to build one of those every time I went out on trail. Yeah, so, but that, the, right? yeah. and what I'm getting at is that, you know, when we were actually out uh, the other night, we all had options where we brought everything in with us, where we didn't right. have to mm -hmm. harvest anything from the land in order to set stuff up. And mm -hmm. traditional camping and bushcraft gets a bad rap because a lot of people will go out and just, just maim the forest with a hatchet sure. or a chainsaw in order to make some oftentimes half-assed shelter with tarps and poles and ropes and whatever and mm -hmm. you know it's not it's not necessary and and often it's not appropriate right yes. and and you said something uh it wasn't related to this but and it, it was something to the effect was just because you can doesn't mean you should yeah that's right uh it's like a jurassic park film you know just because you can do something uh, doesn't mean you should you mean the documentary yes that's right about that's, where they're bringing the dinosaurs that's back right. to life that's right DNA and we're lucky stuff. that they're trapped on that island otherwise we'd be overrun with them i'm thankful <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's something to be said about what you're talking about and especially um you know we're really lucky up here on on the field school property that we can do big long-term shelters and our students get to build um shelters from the land and stuff but the, the gear that we're talking about allows other people to, to feed that urge to get out, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. So like, I think that's an important point, yeah. important point to make. That was hard. Too much coffee for you? Yeah, yeah. Not enough. Well, no, it's a, it's a big, big, and, and, and again, back to the, to the hammock option, is that you don't need a campsite. All mm -hmm. you need are two trees. All right, if, if you, could, you, know, you could use a tree and a telephone pole if you had to. I mean, you just need two, something, two objects to hang it from. You hire two people to hold That's you up. That's exactly right? what I well, was going to say. Well, if you know, if you're if you're urban camping and you know you you're out on the street and you're between a, a like a, a meter and a and a light pole, you could you could theor in theory hang your hammock. Could you tie one end to a rock and the other to a hard place? If it was a big enough rock. <laughs> <laughs> and you you find the hard anyway. <laughs> we just so we're going to check the explicit <laughs> box if there's any bad so, language. But anyway, but uh, I think it, it different. We're talking about different ways yeah. that that people sort of massage that urge that they have to just to get out and experience time, you know, away from away from town, away yeah. from the house. Well, and again, like down the the folks that I ran into, they're you know they're condensed into a very small area, and there's only so many places they can go, and right. it has to be low impact. Yeah. So it's better they have they you, you know you have an option to, to at least be out there, and then it comes down to you know what kind of equipment do you do you choose to use. That's that's personal preference, I right? And yeah. but but I think uh, I see it now in you know there's different camps, but you know some people will say, oh, that's not bushcraft enough. That's not this enough. That's oh, not that go. enough. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea about like you know, it's I just want to say that from our perspective, it's okay if you want a hammock camp or tent camp or go out and spend the day somewhere and then go back to a hotel, right? Yeah. It, it's it's all massaging that urge to get out, and there are lots of ways mm -hmm. to do that, and lots of ways that maybe are appropriate in one place, like, for example, making a shelter here using a lot of materials from the landscape sure. that aren't appropriate in other places. Yeah. If um, I went to Central Park and built a hoop house, that would not be an appropriate use of those resources. But up here... Central Park in Ashland or Presque Isle? No one knows where that is except for us, Tim. You can't make those jokes. Um, Central Park, New York. What? New York? I've heard of Old York. There's a new one? You actually could build a hoop house in Central Park and... Prescott, probably. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, so um, 
But expanding on that theme further, you know, there's this whole idea that we have, we have this big movement now called Leave No Trace, where, or sometimes known as the minimum impact uh, camping. And, and I've always had a problem with that, right? Because when we talk about minimum impact, what we're talking about is um, we're not including the, a bigger worldview. And by that, I will make the claim here now that minimum impact as it's marketed to the masses is actually displaced impact in that there is a massive impact from creating that gear that allows people like us the other night to go to a spot, set up stuff that we brought with us, pack it up in the morning and then leave. So there's not a big impact there where we were recreating, right? But, but all that stuff comes from somewhere. So the idea that it's minimum impact doesn't take into account you know, the oil that we pump out of the ground in the Middle East to make the nylon, you know, the, 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 the minerals we use to make like camping stoves and things like that. Not that we used one, um, but, but just that idea that the impact isn't felt where the recreating is taking place. So here we like to take a bigger picture thing and think about displaced versus minimum impact. So I would make the claim that your big hoop house, hoop house shelter, Christopher, is probably more minimum impact when we take in a whole world view. Because given given a little bit more time, all those little saplings that you harvested to make that, they're going to grow back. Yeah, and the logs and stuff that are building the base and the boughs that make the floor and everything, that's all going to rot, decompose, and go back into, go back into the system, right. essentially. Which is, hmm. I think, to me, that is definitely more leave no trace than... You know, if I cleared out an area and flattened it and put a tent on it. So it's leave no trace because we're including time into the yeah, equation, right? exactly. Yeah. Long-term leave no trace but, as opposed but to... But we're not... I'm not making the claim that, that that, you know, making hoop houses and things would be appropriate in every environment. No. So there has to be, like... That's balance. why... Yeah, there has to be, be judgment balance. and yeah. balance. And that's why, like, I would make a horrible legislature... Uh, legislator because then you have to cut, try to come up with laws and word them in such a way that they apply to everybody everywhere all the time and that's you're serving numerous masters there right and right that's a hard thing to pull off well i would say that there's you know like this we were talking about a, being appropriate with your use of materials right and i would i would make the argument and i think i don't think i wouldn't even say it's an argument it's just kind of an observation that people are people are making appropriate use of material by taking a tent into someplace where that's not sustainable. Right? I agree. Like, yeah. Wholeheartedly. Like, and that's, that's an important point to make here. Like it's really easy with a lot of this stuff um, for people to get kind of purist about it. And I think that that's the danger. And kind of what you were talking about with the legislation is that when you allow people to just make, just assume that people are going to make good choices about what they're using and have an understanding of the land. That's a recipe for disaster. Assuming well, people are going to make good decisions? Not people as a whole, but people as individuals. <laughs> Tim, if we keep using us as a focus group for people making good decisions, we're never going to have any optimism ever. Right. We have to get away from that. So, but I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like, for example, let's say the four of us decided to go on a backpacking trip into like a high alpine sensitive ecological zone, right? And I'm like, oh, let's cut down that three foot spruce and burn it. Like, because in reality, it's like 500 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and every step we take, like, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll burn all this stuff and we'll build out of that and not appropriate remotely there. It is appropriate here because we're in an area of northern Maine that we're the only people that come through here ever. And for now, well, yeah. <laughs> Once we open up that casino, things are going to change. Yeah. Well, when Atlantis comes back out from under the ocean, you know, all those people are going to have to come somewhere to recreate. And I think it's going to be in northern Maine woods. They don't gamble. 
So would you say that again. balance is uh, a requirement? <laughs> like you were looking at how many people are involved with the land. Um, so the fewer the people involved with the land, the more that you can do with it. So you, you get a state park where people are going there every day to picnic or whatever. You can't do a lot of the things that we do. But if you go into the back country, say um, Pecos Wilderness in New Mexico or whatever, where you know nobody goes... There's there's more that you can do with the land. And that's exactly what I'm Absolutely. saying. High use areas, it's inappropriate. Mm. Really low use remote areas, I'd say it's more appropriate. And we're not talking about the law. Somebody might comment and say, well, "Is it legal?" Right. Here, we're on private property. You know, it, it's legal. But if it's government property, you know, no, figure out what the laws are. Follow right. the laws. Don't all break the, the law. Don't go to yeah. jail. And I'll, I'll um, always mm. check local laws and regulations wherever you are because mm-hmm. they they change in different parts of the country yeah. and parts of the world obviously very but true. what you know what what we can get away with in the northeast you probably can't get away with in yosemite let's right. say that's yeah. right yep. so yeah i think that's i just always like to point out the difference there between minimum impact versus displaced impact because uh you know and nothing against people they maybe just don't know any better but i've been you know, hiking in the White Mountains or something, and I had a pack basket, and when people found out that I cut down a tree to make it, you know, oh my God, that's horrible. Yeah. But, uh, you know, well, then yeah. looking at well, the I stuff think, that they I had. think what you're kind of getting at, and what we, I think we're, what we're kind of zeroing in on here when we keep talking about stuff being appropriate is that having a, having a knowledge of the land you're working with lets you better be leave no trace than taking a piece of gear that is like a blanket mm-hmm. system for leave no trace anywhere. So if, um, if I know I'm going camping in a state park, like Tom mentioned, and I, I have a working understanding of ecosystems and the amount of people that are going to be there, I'm not going to go there planning to build a shelter. I'm going to go there with a tent because I understand that if I take something away, there's something less for the other thousands of people that are going to be there. But um, so, yeah, we always kind of push the uh, the more, you know, the less you carry kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I think that that that's even more important when you're talking about gear and leave no trace and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but you can still go, you know, the, the whole go light theory, like we talk about quite a bit, yeah. you can still, you can still go light and be skilled with minimal gear. Yeah. Of I mean, course. you don't have to, absolutely. You, don't have to you, you absolutely don't have to take and buy every latest gadget <laughs> and you know, you can still get by with minimal gear, even going light. With, my whole with, with an amount fits, of skill. fits in my loincloth. <laughs> well, I've seen your loincloth. It's pretty big. anyway (laughs) so there's an interesting point though is where does like a good idea for camping gear or for when does that just become a marketing scheme well there and there's the poison you know it's like it's the whole leave no trace concept is great um because it's a it's a it's a set of ideas right yeah Yeah. it's a set of ideas that um allows for somebody um who maybe doesn't know a lot to who maybe doesn't know a lot about the ecosystem they're in to uh, to take uh, a relatively safe approach to living to living in the outdoors. Um, Tim's writing me love notes as we speak, and I'm having <laughs> I'm having a hard time following this train of thought. Um, that's a love note. I don't hate mail. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, leave no trace is a set of ideas that allows um, a relatively um, unknowledgeable person with just these basic set of principles, go out into the woods and not harm it entirely. The danger in my mind is when um, a company or something markets a piece of gear as the only piece of gear you need to be leave no trace when you go out in the outdoors, because that's that's kind of like co-opting the set of ideals that is a good one, um, as much as we rag on it, and becoming about selling 
stupid gear moving product exactly and it's not it's not uh only with leave no trace like every industry and right now i would say there's no industry as guilty as maybe the bushcraft industry with regards to just pushing product yeah yeah Yeah. for the sake of pushing product it's uh, the perversion of the word or however you want to put it um yeah there's there's always someone coming up with another product that's better and it's the the more products that you, that are out there, the the further we, we become from the actual art of bushcraft. Just removed from the land. So did you exactly. notice that? Like, because I've been to rendezvous in the past, or you know, gatherings, whatever, well, where people would you got to have the right look, you got to have the right knife, you got to you know to be in the in crowd. It's more about the stuff than the action. In, in all fairness, um, the as far as this, there's two camps, the, the guys that were actually you know selling products down there, like uh, they were very. Um, pretty in touch with with bushcraft. Okay, um, I did notice some people that came to the event had things that defy explanation. <laughs> I mean, I, I, go on. No, at some point, I, 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 if I'd have seen a flag, you know, a flag jacket by the end of the day, I wouldn't have been surprised. But that, but again, that was people coming not sure, knowing what to exactly. expect. Exactly. Maybe getting a little bit of drinking a little bit too much of the internet Kool Aid. Okay, or the liquor that was available in the parking lot at the show, whatever. But uh, but not to say that that wasn't, yeah. But uh, that wasn't that wasn't uh, it wasn't a big. But I did notice there yeah. were certain people that would say over prepared for a weekend at a park. Would you say that they prepped for the yes? Bushcraft they event? prepped for the bushcraft weekend, and that right in there lies the problem. It's like you know, it's, it's anyway. I, and I'm not ragging on anybody, but 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 I will say that the folks that like, uh, and there were a couple of different camps like. Uh, that had a different approach to to bushcraft, but what is bushcraft anyway? Exactly, that's what I that's what I was saying what earlier. Is we can't be purist about it, and yeah. there's such a there's such a desire to you know, be. I, I think we agree. Go ahead. I'm... No, that's it. There's such a desire to be, but I think that alienates a lot of people that maybe want to get into this stuff and learn about it. And what, I don't think it's good. The only explanation, or the best way I can in my head, I can come to terms with it is like bushcraft is basically an art taken from people in Australia and parts of Africa that lived in the bush. Okay, and they crafted everything they needed from the bush with minimal tools and basically tools that they made. Sure. Okay, that's safe. And let's just say bushcraft was a term by the Dutch or whoever 200 years ago, 150 years ago. I don't know. And I'm going to get hung for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But uh, so so along comes you know a more advanced uh, set of people with 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 steel axes, with saws, with tools, and they started to adapt to their lifestyle with the advantages of tools. But it's still bushcraft. In other words, they're still, uh, you know, they're still making. Uh, they're they're living in the bush. They're they're um, they're create. You know, they're creating stuff that they use every day with tools and uh, equipment. But it. But in the, the the more technology gets advanced, the more the tools get advanced. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Are so, you sure? Because I've always defined bushcraft as the guy that takes the shrub and makes it look like Mickey Mouse at Disney World. That's not it. That is. That's a perversion of bushcraft. <laughs> yes. And there's there are other kinds. Of, we, this is a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. But anyway. I was once. Uh, so yeah. so what I'm saying is so to get back to it, it's like just because you don't have you know wax canvas and leather, doesn't mean in the latest greatest two hundred dollar axe doesn't mean you you're still not doing participating in bush wax craft. canvas and leather sounds like the best hipster bar ever it's pretty cool stuff i bought a bunch of it i love it <laughs> so i guess i would like to to just make a point that there's Where nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with selling gear there's nothing wrong with Absolutely having no. gear there's Absolutely. nothing wrong with wanting gear but it's when the gear becomes the focus 
and there, it's all gear and no interacting with the yeah. land. That's sort of what the that's what we're taking issue. So with. so anyway, so I guess well, the... if I can just cut in really quick, Ed, I have a line of loincloths that are for sale. <laughs> um, if anybody's interested, you can contact me after the podcast. Go on. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, what I did notice was uh, that I needed a new loincloth. That, re- that, that the folks that uh, that everyone there just had a true. Um, they really all they really wanted to do was just get out in the woods, build their fires, you know, and and, and spend time in the woods and and live in the natural yeah. world. And uh, you know, obviously, someone who lives in you know uh, urban Massachusetts has to approach it. Um, you know, everyone can do it, uh, and. and, and you just have to approach it from a different, with a different style, but yeah. it's still bushcraft. Yeah. You know, and, and we joke around a lot and it sounds like where it's like, well, that's, and, but we're not like, well, it, it's like, it's like saying, okay, you know, let's just say hunting started out using the addle right? People used to put food on the table with the addle for what? 30,000 years. I now they were wrestling stuff and then like hitting them. Okay, let's go even further back. But so what I'm saying is, loincloth. So in after the from so Chris's loincloths you know, Then you get the advent the uh, the you know they invent the the bow the long bow then the then the, the the firearm. So someone who goes out elk hunting in Montana, well if he's not using an addle he's not hunting. No, it's still hunting, right? So it's just well, it's, it depends it, on what he's wearing. Well, exactly, a loincloth. Right. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is it's still bushcraft. You're just using yeah. different equipment. So of course. And well and you're you're using the equipment hopefully, like what we were talking about, you're using the equipment equipment that's appropriate for where where you are Correct. and what you can do and be a good and continue to be a good steward of the land you're working on. Correct. Yeah. But is there is there a distance that you can take that? For instance, the guy that is shooting uh, an eight hundred yard rifle, you know. He doesn't really have to do a lot. He gets a gets a pair of binoculars and he sees yeah. some, he sees a whatever an elk on the other is side. Is that of the ridge. hunting? Yeah, I mean, it's I not, guess it's it's right. or is it just killing, right? Yeah, well, I guess that depends on what he does with. I don't know. This but is this a, is the danger. This is a, right? But you can but you but you can see right. now we've gone down. But this is what's happened to the to bushcraft. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it can become like a. And you're right. You can dissect it into well, it's not really hunting. Right. Okay, what's hunting? You know, what is the definition? So. And what's bushcraft? What yeah. is the definition? Human beings really like to classify, or Western human beings really like to classify stuff, mm-hmm. um, put it into neat little categories. But as far as I'm concerned, if you want to come hang out in the woods with me and have a fire and have a cup of coffee, that's that's bushcraft. Like, come hang out, come enjoy it. I don't really care if you have nice canvas stuff. I don't care. Yeah, and you don't care if you call shelter. it bushcraft, classic camping, wilderness experience, or uh, what was it, Skog Life? What was the other one? Skog. <laughs> you called it yeah. something. One class. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Right. But this is getting off on a tangent. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So uh, any any definition I think needs to be inclusionary rather than exclusionary. Yes. You know, you don't you want you don't want to like tell somebody what they're doing is not what the what the desired term is, right? Like I wouldn't want to say, oh, what you're doing isn't bushcraft. Like, and I know there was a thing a bit ago. Another friend of ours was railing about how some people were saying if you light a fire with a match or that's not bushcraft it's got to be a ferro rod and you know kind of little little parameters like that and you know it's not that people can't have their own ideas and their own opinions and i think it's great for people to have that but well the aborigines had some pretty big ferro rods yeah yeah have you seen them Uh, yeah oh yeah um anyway (laughs) oh i'm sorry did i did i break your concentration (laughs) no no never never but anyway there is uh and there is still a you know a lot of people there's a problem Back to what we were talking about, about 
you know, leave no trace. A lot of the problem with the leave no trace equipment that people are using is made in all different parts of the world uh, that don't adhere to the same environmental standards that we do. So, so in, and just because you're not leaving a trace right in front of us doesn't mean we're not making an impact on the rest of the world. So, right. That's the dis, it's displaced impact. That's not what minimal. It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So if you wanted to kind of put that, you can put it into better words than I can, but just because it's not going on in front of you doesn't mean it's, it doesn't have an effect on the natural yeah, world. Right on. Right. So when you buy, you can buy products that are now made in the country, which have a lower carbon footprint than the ones that were available like five or 10 years ago. Yeah. So support local. Support local. That's what we're buy trying to Buy American. Say. Buy local. Buy, buy from local. somebody that you can meet. Like, <laughs> you know, not just, not just your food, your gear too. If you can get it locally, that's awesome. Um, so one gripe that I have heard people say is that, you know, if everybody went out and tried to do bushcraft, there'd be no trees left. And that's a valid concern. Yeah. So, and I think that, uh, maybe everybody can't do it. You know, maybe everybody, there's just not a, there's too much of us and not enough space. And if everybody decided they wanted to do that, if everybody wanted to become say an expert with an ax and clear an acre, you know, it would be like 1800 in New England. We'd have no trees left because it would be all like sheep farms. Um, so, yeah, maybe, you know, it's not, you know, I think people are often looking for the answer to everything that ails them and ails society. And, and maybe there's some people out there that think that bushcraft is the answer. And I'm saying, hey, maybe it's not. You know, this isn't, maybe it's not appropriate for everybody. No. Nope. Not to be exclusionary, but, you know, there's only, there's so many people, there's only so much land. So what do you, you know, I... That's a good point, though. When you said uh, there would be no trees left, and there'd be, sh but back at the turn of the century, like in New Hampshire, there weren't any trees. Exactly, that's my point. And along with that, there were no white-tailed deer. Yeah. There were no. There was, you know, there was no habitat. Correct. There was no carrying capacity. So, yeah, no, we need, we need to, we need to take care of the the trees in the forest, just like we do anything else. It's part of the system. And I think again, it, it comes down to it's something being like appropriate for the location and a wise use of the resources for that for that location and and wise use of resources not only for that specific geographic location but wise use of resources in a bigger you know worldwide picture maybe and thinking about more than the snapshot of time that we're in right now like with Chris's shelter those are gonna those are gonna grow back you know we're not yeah. developing the land we're not altering the landscape we're harvesting a few things right and that's gonna grow back but just one last point I want to make before we, before we wrap this thing up is that we have this idea, and this goes back to sort of, the, sort of the underlying theme of this episode, is that we are often taught by the powers that be, by the media, by whoever, that there's really only one, one way to think about something, one appropriate or one right. I think right would be a better than appropriate, but there's one right way. That's what you believe and everything else is wrong. And I want to bring up the ideas um, put forth. I, regular listeners know that uh, usually every year, every two years, I take a group up to northern Quebec and we go out into the bush with my Cree friends, uh, David and Anna Bosom. And uh, just a shameless plug, we're going again next March if you're interested. It's kind of a unique experience. Um, but, you know, they, their culture sees things differently than we see things. Um, so there's an awesome book uh, that I recommend if you're interested in, in that sort of a thing. And it's called Sacred Ecology by a guy named uh, Fikret Burkez. And I probably butchered the pronunciation of his name. But 
basically the and it's not sacred from like a spiritual or religious perspective uh, he refers to traditional ecologic knowledge as sacred so things that have been handed down over generation and generation um, but anyway uh, what he talks about here the book is really about the difference differences between the western science of ecology which is i don't know 100 years old and the earth is probably in not in as great a shape now as it was 100 years ago so uh you know i'm not doubting the veracity of 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 ecological western knowledge but i you know where has it gotten us versus the native or indigenous ecological knowledge which has uh <laughs> we got a phone call <laughs> no. nope traditional ecological knowledge which has gone on for you know thousands and thousands of generations and so they see things legitimately differently than we do and the 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 most important thing i want to talk about is the cree have an idea about the importance of continued use for sustainability so for us when we want to conserve a resource in using western ecological thought we take a hands-off approach so for example say there's like a park and inside the park uh, you know they'll say we want to conserve the resource and not consume the resource so it's hands-off so the cree have a different idea that for them in order to conserve the resource in the park uh, they need to continue to use it so for example if we're talking about trapping beaver right so if there's a series of lakes in a certain region up in northern quebec and they want to continue to have beaver in those lakes they will continue to use them they're not going to trap them every year but they won't say hey this is going to be like a, a place where we want the beaver to be so we're never going to trap the beaver you know they'll do the same thing it's not it's not unlike how a farmer would alternate crops or maybe you divide your field into four quadrants and you you actively farm one a year and let the other rest so they will do that but but they in order to maintain the sustainability of the resource they believe that it has to be used which is just in direct opposition to us and it just brings me back to my point that um you know the powers that be want us to believe there's only one way but there's always another way another viewpoint to look at things by um anything to add no i think we should wrap this up all right so episode 39 i guess is over i hope uh Hope you guys out there in podcast land enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please leave us a review wherever you listen to this. Uh, thank you for listening and have a great day. Mm -hmm.